This morning's sermon text is Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since we indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. We're going to look at one verse this morning, verse 31 from Romans 3. And I'd like to pray with you and ask God's help before we focus in on that verse. Lord, we as a congregation believe in the authority and the inspiration of the Bible, which means we have just taken on our lips a holy word that is not the word of man alone, but Mysteriously, like the incarnation, produced a God-man, the doctrine of inspiration and the act of your inspiring produces a God word among men. So this is a holy moment to take the word on our lips and then for me to dare to unfold its meaning and apply it to our lives as a very frightening thing to do. And so I ask for your help for me and I ask for mercy and help for listeners that our minds would be alert and that our hearts would be receptive and that would be we would be discerning and that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that lives would be changed and that lost people who are in this room who do not yet believe and have not been born of God would be awakened to the reality of spiritual things and would be made believers through faith in Christ and would be saved and given eternal life. So come and do more than I could even dream that you might do for the good of your people. Through Christ I pray. Amen. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, where did that question come from? Why does Paul raise the question? It sounds like somebody's at his back saying, you're nullifying the law. That's what they're accusing him of. You're nullifying the law. Something's wrong here. This happens all the time in theological discussions, doesn't it? You study, you get a handle on a truth, you love it, you speak it, and somebody listening is not totally on your wavelength and is hearing other texts, bells going off there, says, no, no, if you say that, you nullify this. If you say you believe in the sovereignty of God in the conversion of sinners, well then you nullify the moral accountability of men to believe. 
If you say you believe in the providence of God over the world to such an extent that it decides whether one hair turns gray or stays brown or one little bird in some dark jungle falls to the ground or stays on a limb. If you believe in providence to that extent, then you nullify prayer because there's no point in praying if God rules the world to that kind of detail. This happens all the time where somebody hears a truth that is being spoken and they hear it nullifying another truth that it may not necessarily nullify. Now, Paul here, he does not agree with this criticism. They're saying, you're nullifying the law. And Paul's saying, I am not. That's what it says, right? May it never be. Do we then nullify the law? And he says, no, no, no. But now let's ask this. Where did this question come from? We need to know this. Not everybody has been here all these weeks past in Romans. And so we need to back up and say, why would anybody ask this of Paul? What has he said that makes a person think, well, if that's what you think, then you don't really believe that the law has authority. You don't believe that the law should even be in the Bible. Tear out the first five books of the Bible. Back up with me to verse 20, and we'll just look at a few texts that made this question so burning for some of Paul's listeners. Verse 20, By works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So there he's saying, if you try to get justified, if you try to get right with God as a sinner by the performance of works of the law, you fail. Works of the law can't get you right with God. Well, that does not sound hopeful for the law then. Verse 21. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. And he goes on to say this manifestation of the righteousness of God is the giving of the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from the law. So set the law aside for a moment, set it aside, and receive the gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus and people are hearing, ah, set the law aside, uh -huh, I get it, set the law aside, nullify the law, cancel the law, rip it out of your Bible, Paul. Look at verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Law of works? No. Law of faith? Ah, there you go again. The law that's composed of commandments and works. You're saying all that law does is produce boasting. you got to leave that to the side and go over here to a law of faith that teaches you to believe in Christ and that'll eliminate boasting. And this is just bad, 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 and therefore nullify, nullify. Verse 28. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. See, Paul, you're not even satisfied to just say the positive. You're always sticking in the negative. Sure, we might, we might agree with you that a man is justified by faith. 
But when you stick in apart from works of the law, you are just doing damage to the holy word of God. And we believe you are nullifying the law. You're canceling it out. You're tre treating it like it doesn't have any authority. You might as well just take it out of your Bible. So it's not hard to see where this is coming from, is it? Paul's teaching of justification by faith apart from works of the law is causing his critics to say, Okay, you just nullify the law then, right? Cancel it out. No authority. No legitimate place. This is gone. Leave it aside. Run away from it. To which Paul answers, no indeed. May it never be. In fact, he goes farther, doesn't he? He says, on the contrary, My teaching of justification by faith alone, apart from works of the law, establishes the law. Now, what does he mean? It doesn't nullify the law. When I teach that you must get right with God, not by the performance of the commands of the law, but by trusting in Christ and the grace of God in Him, alone, apart from works of the law, I thereby establish the law. What does that mean? Before I uh, answer that, I want to give you a, a picture that I have drawn in my head. And uh, it's risky to draw pictures like this for lots of reasons. One is I haven't ridden on a roller coaster for 35 years, probably. I've never been to Valley Fair in my life. And uh, I'm liable to use the wrong language to describe the way these things are built and how they work. But I do remember riding a roller coaster numerous times when I was small. And uh, so I'm going to risk it. Another reason is because all analogies are um, inadequate. And so somebody's going to come up to me after this service and they're going to say, yeah, but if you carry that all the way through, it's going to be a heresy. And I say, okay, don't carry it all the way through. <laughs> just just carry it as far as I carry it. And then maybe it'll be all right. It might help to precede the picture with the interpretation. That's sort of dumb to do, but might help. What do I think verse 31 means? And then a picture of what it means. That might help you get it. I think it means, let me state the doctrine. Being justified by faith alone apart from works of the law establishes the law. That's what verse 31 says, I think. What does it mean? I think it means that what the moral law requires of you, having become justified by faith, apart from works of the law, you will then fulfill when you pursue it by faith, having been justified apart from works of the law, rather than pursuing it by works in order to be justified by the law. That was a complicated sentence, wasn't it? See if I can make it more simple. 
I think it means first you get right with God through faith alone, apart from works of the law. Then by faith, you begin by faith as a justified person who has a right standing with God. You begin by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to pursue the law rather than pursuing it by works in order to be justified by it. If you do the latter, you will, in fact, nullify the law. If you do the former, get justified first by faith alone, apart from works of the law, and then, then start pursuing it in the power of the Holy Spirit by faith, you will fulfill it rather than nullify it. Now, here's the picture. You are standing on the tracks of a roller coaster in the dip of one of those gigantic hills. So the dip is almost on the ground and you can climb up on the trestle there and stand between the tracks on the planks that are holding the rails together. And you have one coming down behind you here and one going up in front of you here. Say it's about 300 feet tall. This room is about 60 feet high and uh, put five more sanctuaries on top. And that's how high this is. So that's high. And you're looking up there and perched at the top of the hill is the and, and here I said to Noel, now I, I don't remember what these are called. What, what do you call the things you sit in as you ride a roller coaster? She said, cars. That's what she said, cars. I said, okay, that's what I would have said, but I don't want to say anything stupid. So the cars are at the top and, and a man comes along and says to you, let's call him Mr. Moses. He comes along and he says, ascend. These rails and get in the car. And then he says, go up on these rails and get in the car. And then he says, if you get in the car, you will ride in the force of the momentum of this car all day long and have a wonderful time. And so you, in your self-sufficiency and stupidity, begin to climb hand over hand, plank by plank, grabbing the rails at times to keep your balance up this 300 foot incline, almost straight up. When you get, I don't know. 15, 20 feet up, another man comes along and he says, hey! And you look down and it's Mr. Paul. And he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm, I'm climbing the roller coaster to get in the car up there so I can ride and have a good time. And Paul says, that is, that is not what these rails are for. You are not supposed to climb these rails. Now you come down here because this is not what those planks and rails are for. They're not to climb on. You're going to kill yourself. Just come down here. I have something to tell you. And so you weigh whether this should be considered and, and make your way back down and come to him. And he says, now listen. 
You do have to get in the car. But this is not made for climbing. You will not make it up there. I promise you, you won't make it. This is dangerous. Here's the way you're supposed to get in the car. And he points to a crane over here, 400 feet tall, just like the ones on top of the towers that are being built downtown. And there's a cab at the top, and a man is in the cab, and he looks through the window, and, and he waves a big smile on his face. And there's this long cable stretching down with a harness at the end of it, just fitted for you. And Paul, Mr. Paul, says, um, now let me hook you up in this harness. Now you have to trust the harness, and you have to trust the cable, and you have to trust that man up there in the cab that he knows how to work this thing, and he will lift you up and deposit you in the car very securely. And then you will ride. So you ponder this. And you decide, all right, I will, I'll let you do that. And so he puts the harness on you and you, and you ride up 300 feet into the air, dangling by this cable of grace. And he deposits you in this car and then the car starts to move. And it heads down this thing, picking up speed all the way. Hits the bottom, starts up the other side with a tremendous momentum. And just as it starts to slow down and you think it's going to lose its energy, one of those little, here my vocabulary is totally at a loss, one of those little clickety-click things. And, and it just kicks in like this. And you, oh, there's another power under here. This is not just going on momentum here. Click. And you're right up over to the top. And... And there you go, all the way around. And you come now to the top of what was behind you here as a big hill, and you start down. When you hit the bottom of where you had been standing, receiving the word of Mr. Moses, who said, ascend to the top of the hill. Go up on these rails to the top of this hill. You hit the bottom of this thing at about 80 miles an hour and you're at the top almost before you know it. Now here's my question. Did Mr. Paul nullify the words of Mr. Moses? That's my picture. I don't think so. I don't think so. And you might say, nice picture. Is that what Romans is teaching? That if you turn away from the, the mountain of the law, with its demands, to the crane of grace and trust the work of Christ to get you into the car of justification apart from works of the law that you will not 
nullify the moral demands of the law. But fulfill them and thus establish the law. Is that what the text means? Well, now, Paul is in the same trouble I am preaching through Romans. He has an advantage over me in that it doesn't take as long to write 16 chapters or to read them as it does to preach through them. I'll be at this six or eight years, and he probably took six or eight hours or more to write it and... uh, probably doesn't take more than an hour to read it, but he still got the same problem. Do you answer every problem fully as soon as you get to it, or do you postpone some problems and just say, this is not a problem here, believe me, there's a solution to this, and then wait to chapter 6, because chapter 6 is where he picks this question up. How do justified people fulfill the law, establish the law? Six, seven, eight, that's what it's all about. So he doesn't answer it here. He just says, God forbid we do not nullify the law. We establish the law. End of argument. And now he goes on back to justification by faith in chapter 4, having parried that sword thrust once and says, give me a break. Don't put your assumptions on my argument. Hear me out to the end. I'll get to that in chapter 6, 7, and 8. I do not nullify the law. So what I want to do this morning is jump ahead about two years and look at just some sample arguments that are going to come. We have to do this from time to time. Otherwise, we will, uh, I think, go too long without seeing important answers to important questions. Let's look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What I'm trying to do here now is show you the texts that give warrant to my picture that show you where I got my picture. I didn't make that picture up out of my head entirely. And I hope you'll see it develop as I share a few texts with you. Romans 6, 1 and 2, to show you that we're on the right track and that the problem we're dealing with is a real problem. Paul says, again, echoing his critics, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Answer, same answer. May it never be. And then he goes on and he gives his answer in chapter 6. But notice, what's the issue here? The issue is, Paul, you keep talking about grace. You You keep talking about getting right with God, apart from works of the law, through grace, by faith alone. No works of the law involved in getting right with God and being justified. So really what you're teaching is, send all these people out of this room every Sunday into a life of sin. Case sera, sera. doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter whether they're obedient or disobedient, because they're justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. And so all you're doing is saying, let's sin, that grace may abound, because God will get more glory for more grace as he forgives more sin. So let's get to sinning. That's really what you're teaching. By the doctrine of justification by faith alone, apart from works of the law. So this is not a small problem in the early church, nor is it today. And Paul said, no, no, no. Look down at verses 14 and 15. Let's just get a taste of his argument. We'll spend, no doubt, weeks on these verses. These are so important for you to understand your own Christian life, but... We're in chapter 3 now, so we're only getting a taste. Chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. 
sin, he says, shall not be master over you if you are justified by faith apart from works of the law. It shall not be master over you for you're not under law climbing that hill plank by plank, hand over hand, but under grace. Not under the constraint of law to demonstrate your ability to climb up there, but under grace and its power. What then? Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Answer, may it never be. People who are justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law, do not go on under the dominion of sin. That's the point of chapter 6. Why don't they? Answer, grace is a power, not just leniency. Grace in the form of the Holy Spirit comes into your life through faith and empowers you to have different affections and different loves. You begin to love what the law commanded. You begin to delight in what your Savior delights in. The smile on that man's face up in the cab is a ravishing smile. And you look at that and it changes everything from one degree of glory to the next. And where that doesn't happen, you're not in the harness and you're not in the cab or the car. But now that's a big mouthful as a foretaste. So let's just jump to chapter eight. I'm just going to give you tastes along the way of how he argues and you can read it and follow it out this afternoon. Chapter 8, verses 2 to 4, I think is probably the most important parallel text here on this issue. He says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So here you are climbing up this track. He says, no, 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 you're set free from doing that. That's sin and death if you try to do that. you got two options climbing that thing. Either you fall off and die, or you get to the top and boast and get pushed off by God into hell and die. Those are your two options. The law of works produces boasting. Only the law of faith eliminates boasting. If you try to climb this thing in your strength, you either fall off and die or you get pushed off because of your self-reliant boasting and die. You die one way or the other. And this text says you're set free from the law of death. You're set free from the law of death by the law of the spirit, the law of the spirit of life. Now keep reading. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Now stop. This hill of the law, this roller coaster hill of the law, is good. Those planks 
are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And those rails are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And they are not handrails and they are not ladder rungs. And these girders are holding all that up doing exactly. This is a good roller coaster hill. It is not a good ladder. It is weak. Oh, you mean it's going to collapse when you ride on it? No, that is not what I mean because the next phrase says through the what? Now tell me, it is weak through the... Let's try it again. It is weak through the... Okay. It is weak not because the girders are rusty. Not because God is a bad architect. Not because the rails are a little bit out of whack. Not because the slats are coming loose with their bolts. The law is perfect, holy, just, and good. It is weak because if you stand on it and try to turn it into a ladder, you're the problem. It is through the flesh that the law is weak and cannot save. It was never designed for you to use to demonstrate your own self-reliant climbing ability to get justification. You were meant to get into the harness of grace, trust in the grace of God, land in the car of justification, go around the circle and ride on the law. The law is designed for the car of justification empowered by the Holy Spirit to ride on. Keep reading. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. You, you can't get your sin problem solved by climbing anything or doing anything. God sent Christ to die so that your sin would be executed in him now. Right. So that, this is the purpose of his substitutionary atonement for you. So that the requirement of the law, that's getting up the hill. The requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Not just for us. In us, we're riding, we're going to get up that hill who do not walk or ride according to the flesh. That's climbing. That's getting out of the car onto the rails and saying, I can do this. Flesh means who you are apart from the energy of the Holy Spirit. That clickety click, clickety click, 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 that kicks in when this car is up that hill and pulls it right to the top. When you walk according to the flesh and try to climb that hill, no success. But according to the Spirit, when you ride, you fulfill the just requirement of the law. Christ came to die for you so that the Holy Spirit would be unleashed into your life and you would be granted as a justified sinner to begin to fulfill the just requirement of the law. One more text for us to look at. Chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. I'm passing over one of the most important ones just for time's sake. Chapter 9, 30 to 32. But I'll leave it for you to read later. Let's look at, at what, what's the hill? What's the hill? 
Romans 13, 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. That's the hill. Do you love people? Do you always love people? Do you always love God and love people? For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. There it is. The law established in those who love. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Where does love come from? Know that we had time to dwell on Galatians 5 and 6. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love. Joy. Peace. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Not the work of the flesh. The work of the flesh will start you climbing. And if you think, I'm going to love my way into justification, I'm going to love people until God likes me, I'm going to love people until he justifies me, you will fall off that hill and die. But if you say, God, I am not a loving person, I am a sinner, and Mr. Paul says, that is not news to me. I have a crane, and I have a cable, and I have a harness, and I have a Savior. So come here, you loveless, ungodly sinner, and we will save you. By grace, through faith, not of works on that hill, lest you boast. And I'll put this harness on you, you ride. And having been justified by faith, apart from the climbing of any works of the law, you now repose and rest in justification and ride and watch what the Holy Spirit works in your life. When you come around and hit the bottom of that dip going 80 miles an hour at the root of love and fulfill the just requirement of Mr. Moses as you ascend. Maybe one last observation. Romans 7, 6. But now we who have been, but now we have been released from the law. He's gotten you off that hill. And having died to that by which we were bound. Imagine the tension. Imagine the fears as you get about 200 feet off the ground with another 100 feet to go and all you've got is you and wind and slippery planks and hot rails. I tell you, there's a bondage here. There is a bondage in the law that you do not want. And it says you've died to that. You died to that bondage, having died to that which you were bound, so that you might... Now, what's the next word? <gasps> Serve? I thought that's what I was doing. I'm climbing, for goodness sakes. 
You remember that text in Galatians 5? Do not use your freedom as an occasion for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And where does love come from? Climbing. Exertions of the flesh. Serve, he says, in the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter. I'll leave you with that last image. If you serve in the oldness of the letter, you're climbing. Hand over hand, plank on plank, your strength higher and higher. And if you're really good, moral person, you get a few hundred feet up. But you will die. But if you serve in the newness of the Spirit, you're on the same track, but you're riding in the car of justification alone, apart from works of the law, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just, I just confess here as we close, very simply, very openly, very profoundly, very shockingly, Christianity is a supernatural religion, not a willpower religion. And many of us have grown up perhaps in homes where you never, you never even heard about grace. You never even heard about the, the Holy Spirit indwelling, empowering you to do what you didn't ever dream you could do and changing your wants and your desires so that you love what the law requires. I have ringing in my mind right now. First John 5, 3. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. But do you, do you know what the next phrase is? And His commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because you're riding, not climbing. And I know some of you right now are really in trouble. I've talked to several after the first service because you're worried right now that you may have never known this. You just decided to come to church this morning. It's what you do. You decide to read your Bible. You call yourself a Christian. But is there power? Is there supernatural reality? Have the eyes of your heart been opened so that the smile through the window of the cab is ravishingly beautiful and irresistible and transforming you from one degree of glory to the next so that you say, I want to know that man. I want to be lifted by that man. I want to be in the cable of that man. I want to be harnessed by that man. I want to ride with that man and that man's spirit forever. That man is my God. And there's a transformation from within so that the tree bears fruit. Let's pray. God, I long, 
I long for you to come by your Holy Spirit now and awaken the dead. Lazarus, come forth. Lord, awaken those who have lived by willpower religion Not understanding grace, not tasting grace, not relaxing in grace, not delighting in the harness, the cable, the crane, the car, the power, the wind in their face. But just have climbed and climbed and climbed trying to make it look real. God save them. And teach the saints, O God, where their true security is. In the car of justification by faith alone, apart from works of the law. Would you stand with me for a closing benediction? Now may the power of God harness you, lift you, and put you in the car of justification and grant you the rest of your life to ride in the power of the Holy Spirit and thus not nullify the law, but establish it. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.